When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, there's double semi-success as Cobham does for Croydon and the women see off Arsenal once more. With the latest on the takeover, like a kid who drinks his milk, Chelsea won't have rickets. And there's a key midweek matchup to preview. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Back to Wembley. Welcome in then, listener, to the first of our bi-weekly delves into everything Chelsea FC. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. Simon Johnson's with us, fresh from Wembley. Well, fresh may be putting it a bit strong, <laughs> but... Uh, I'm just wondering whether the FA Cup final should now be automatically added to the fixture list at the start of the season. It certainly feels that way. Just make it part of the schedule straight away. Five from the last six now. Incredible. Uh, much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of our next <laughs> panellist, Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. How are you feeling today? I'm fine. I'm, I'm didn't, as, you, as, as you heard on Thursday's show, I didn't have many great expectations for that. I thought uh, as the... Uh, yeah, I think as 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 the Chelsea fans I encountered on the way back to the station reminded me, uh, we had a very great good day out, and then we went home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not sure that's quite how they worded it, but we take the point. Um, we'll talk about the semis later. First, though, let's have a chat about the latest on the takeover of Chelsea FC. So, final bids to buy the Blues were submitted on Thursday last week, but one did not come in from the Ricketts family. They pulled out. What happened there, Simon? Utterly bizarre. You put in all this work and effort, you know, from getting the money together, looking at how you're going to redevelop Stamford Bridge, flying back and forth to England, all those charm offences with the fans. And basically, you can't come to an agreement among yourselves over how the consortium's going to work, how the split's going to be made, who's paying for what, who's going to be the main man. Essentially, from from what I can tell, it, it feels a bit like well, egos, egos have just got in the way of all of this. Um, so yeah, all a bit, just really bizarre. Um, you know, you, you overcome all those issues with the No to Ricketts campaign, and then what actually brings it down is your own, is, is yourselves. Um, but obviously, their departure from the process has been much mourned. Um, <laughs> on social media, um, coincided with the, <laughs> the bank holiday weekend, so um, everyone had a, plenty of time to celebrate. But I, I'm just, I'm almost uh, relieved. Nothing against the, the this particular consortium, but I'm just relieved that you know we're one step closer. You know, we're down to three from this. I, I know we, we've said before in this pod this rather rapid process in the grand scheme of things but I think we all just want this to get everyone connected to the club everyone reporting on the club just wants this to get sorted out because it's getting a little bit tiresome 
and actually, Dom, you know, we don't know what's going to happen when whoever wins the process gets the keys, but it feels important not to start off on a negative footing, which would have been the case had the Ricketts family won. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, that's a very good point. And, and the, the whole, the, the, the noise around that bid has, has never been positive. Uh, they would never have, well, they wouldn't, you're right, they wouldn't have been accepted immediately, maybe in time, possibly, possibly, um, with efforts, etc. I, I mean, I'm sort of surprised in some ways that this hasn't affected some of the other consortia as well, um, given the amount of money it's going to take to to buy Chelsea. And you can argue, we can argue over whether the club has been overpriced through this process i suppose you're only overpriced if no one's willing to pay the price out there but when the numbers are this big and you have competing elements within consortia who want different proportions of said ownership and um they're providing a certain amount of funds here and a certain amount of funds there and should they be reflected in terms of the percentages of the of the 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 makeup of the consortium then I i suppose you're inevitably going to have friction and these, these seem to be groups that have been flung together fairly quickly in, in a lot of these senses, um, you know, just for this purpose of buying Chelsea Football Club. So they, you're not necessarily going to get all the right relationships within all these, within the consortia as well. So um, that only one bid has been affected like this so far seems almost a bit surprising. But I guess we'll find out in the next week, thankfully, you know, whether whether there are other issues affecting the others and, and which one will now be granted preferred bidder status. Because like I say, I mean, I know this has actually been quite a speedy process as far as takeovers go, but but um, but given it's being played to a backdrop of, of quite significant fixtures on the field as well and, and, and the war in Ukraine, you just want to get it done and so you can move on completely. Uh, the Todd Bowley bid is the one that's been there right from the start. Simon, they've added George Osborne to it over the last couple of days. Am I right in thinking that that he would have effectively been your boss a couple of years ago? <laughs> yes, and and I got introduced to him bizarrely, not by through through uh, my my working relationship. I I used to work for London Evening Standard. Um, Frank Lampard introduced me to him, as you do. Um, I actually felt a bit like a, a bit of a third wheel because they, they clearly knew each other. They'd had dinner together. And uh, and Frank was like, oh, this is Simon. He works for you. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. That that just showed what an important cog in the evening standard wheel. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I do think this is a, a significant move. Um, whatever you think of George Osborne, he, he obviously has... Uh, friends in high places in in the government, etc., and, and and clearly bringing him on board um, sort of might help them close the deal. Um, the way that Paluka though is, is sort of been working very much in the background, I, I think should be sort of taken quite seriously um, it, to sort of counteract my point. Todd Bowley's been very front and centre, whereas Paluka has been um, very much going about his business quietly. And, and I always sort of think those kind of people should be, well, they shouldn't be ignored. I always sort of think, right, okay, those that are doing things sort of without courting public opinion, um, maybe sort of uh, putting together something very serious. But I go back to my original point. It's almost getting to the stage where 
You just go, look, I don't care who wins, just just appoint someone and let's move on. Exactly the same way. I suspect that you'll find that the, the, the Broughton bid has been doing things behind the scenes that that haven't been played out in public. And I know Liam in particular has, has spoken on here and on Twitter about his amazement that, that, that people like Josh Harris and David Blitzer have refused to comment publicly on this. Well, we, we can't be naive enough to think they're not talking to Rain Group. They, they may not be talking to the public and to the media, but they're talking to they're talking to the people that really matter in terms of convincing them that they're a, a bid that's viable. Yeah, and it's, there, there's a certain irony that the you know the the most vocal of the of the original four is the one that's dropped out already, and the other three are still very much in the picture, and they're all very very confident they can get this done. Um, it will be yeah very very interesting to see what happens next, but uh, I, I wouldn't rule out. Um, I wouldn't rule out the Broughton bid either. Josh Harris and David Blitzer weren't at Wembley on uh, Sunday, uh, probably for good reason. But they they did have uh, a Sixes game, a playoff match the, the night before. But yeah, it's uh, they would have been in a very awkward position had they been there. But uh, they still want Chelsea Football Club very much. So David Ornstein reporting in his Monday column for The Athletic that two of the three remaining bidders could look to appoint Paul Mitchell as technical director. And nobody's done this role since Michael Amanalo left it in 2017. And Mitchell currently working in a similar role for Monaco, having previously held that post at Southampton, Spurs and Leipzig. Simon, does this suggest to you maybe that, I, I know we were reporting earlier that, that the bidders wanted to keep Marina Granovskaya, most of them. Does this cast some doubt over that maybe, and maybe even the, the future of Petr Cech as well, or are, are these entirely different roles? I mean, it sounds to me that it, it would have to inevitably put more doubt on Petr Cech's role, given he's the technical performance advisor. He's quite new to the role. Um, he's not going to have as much experience as Paul Mitchell, but the impression I've had, though, when, when sort of, asking around and, and talking about him is that he is quite a growing figure though. So I, I would be surprised if if Chelsea wanted to sort of do sort of the new owners would want to get rid of a character like Petr Because I do think that sort of it's something that, that is very strong throughout the club, this kind of ex player who's been there, done it, um, knows how the club works. I think that that's quite important. Um, Marina Granovskaya, of course, there's been a lot of speculation about her future because of her close association with, with Abramovich and, and, and whether she could stay on. But certainly in the short term, I think she has to stay on because it's asking a lot for someone, as we're talking about Paul Mitchell, even with his vast experience, to just come in cold to what is a very crucial juncture in, in any club's calendar year let alone Chelsea's and and suddenly sort of be expected to deal with contract situations deal with signings they're trying to pursue you just think of all those conversations that have taken place not just sort of pre-sanctions but we're talking perhaps a year or two with with people um close to players they're interested in um it's a very interesting story that that David's come up with there and of course, one of the things he mentions is that is that he succeeded Emanalo at, at Monaco. So I'm sure I'm sure Emanalo has told him a few things about how Chelsea operate. But um, but the first things first. Let, let's see who who uh, who takes over. It doesn't. I mean, 
Chelsea would operate in a very different way to Emanalo's days potentially if if Mitchell did come in. I mean, it's it's a different ownership. We don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, they also have to take into account possibly a, whether Monaco would allow him to walk away immediately. Maybe there'd be a period of gardening leave um, in the same way that Dan Ashworth couldn't take up the reins immediately at Newcastle United from when he left Brighton. Um, I think that's quite a sensitive issue for this particular role because obviously you're taking all the knowledge with you. You have all the, <laughs> you've done all the scouting, you know everything about the targets that Monaco, well, he would know everything about what Monaco wanted to do and he could bring all that information to Chelsea, potentially. Um, so that would actually probably make it even more imperative that some kind of contingency plan is in place, as in, does Marina stay on? Does Petacek stay on for a period? Um, I still think that Marina is too closely associated with Roman Abramovich to to play a major role in Chelsea going forward. But I can understand completely why she's admired within the industry and why people want would would want her in place because she knows the club. She knows how it's run. She knows what it's been doing for the last umpteen years. But as a figure, I'm not sure you would be moving on if she stayed there. Yeah, fair point. Um, I was just going to say that if Chelsea wanted to sign Chermeni, uh, maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe this this is all part of a cunning plan. Um, <laughs> yeah, given that uh, likes of Real Madrid etc. Have, have have been able to take advantage of of Chelsea's um, situation to, by all accounts, um, pitch very strongly for his services. I think PSG may be in for him as well, but. Uh, but yeah, you can imagine. Oh, Paul, trying try to uh, try and get Chiumeni uh, to agree to come to us as well whilst you're at it. Yeah, I guess the other factor is uh, we know the strength of the relationship between Czech Granovskaya and, and Thomas Tuchel, so maybe that would be something to to take into account, maybe for a couple of months at least. Uh, listen, you know the drill by now. If you want to keep up to date with the very latest developments, just head to theathletic.com/chelseapod to sign up now. It will only cost you one pound a month for your first six months. Right, we'll get back to the football next. Havertz pulls it across. There's Loftus-Cheek! There's the Chelsea breakthrough. And it's the former Palace Lone Star who's broken their hearts. Mount. Alonso into the penalty area. Werner to Mount. In now. Could be over now. Because Chelsea have doubled their lead. Brilliant work from Mason Mount. We will be up for it, of course. I'm very proud to be here for the second time in, in the FA Cup final. I've been here for Carabao Cup final, so there's room for improvement um, result-wise. But um, it means a lot because it's it's the, the oldest, the oldest and most traditional cup uh, um, uh, competition you can play and played in Wembley is. It's, um, it's very grateful. It's a dream come true all the time. So we will be ready. So another year, another FA Cup final. Then Chelsea booking their place in next month's showpiece via a 2 0 win against Crystal Palace under the arch on Sunday. Simon and Don were both there. One in a professional capacity, the other not so much. Only one of them left a voice note for us. Let's hear that now, shall we? And the final whistles is gone. Chelsea beat Crystal Palace 2 0. They've put their fifth FA Cup final in the last six years. Wembley's become their second home, um, it certainly has, but uh, they were made to work for it by Crystal Palace, um, it was quite a drab affair, 
uh, Palace's uh, defensive tactics frustrated Chelsea for long periods. But the extra quality shone in the ends, and it was thanks to the academy yet again. Forget the expensive signings. Ruben Loftus-Cheek coming off the bench, scoring his first goal of the season with an absolute cracker. Then Mason Mount with the second to basically end the fight that was in Crystal Palace. The fans have been a credit to them. I'm talking about Crystal Palace fans. They're the ones to my right making most of the noise. They're actually staying longer uh, to greet their players and, and, and show appreciating their players and the Chelsea fans. The Chelsea fans are used to uh, seeing Chelsea at Wembley, so uh, they're perhaps a little bit spoiled. But, uh, but yeah, you have to give credit to, to Chelsea for getting the job done. In the context of the week they just had, the disappointment of that exit to Real Madrid in the Champions League. Very hard to come back and play a big semi-final after that. But uh, whilst they certainly weren't at their best and certainly weren't, didn't match the standards of that Real Madrid performance, they were the better side for, for the most part. It took Mendy to make a fine save from Chiarty. Big scores live in the first half, but on the whole, they were pretty comfortable at the back there. And of course, what this sets up is a rematch at Wembley, Chelsea v Liverpool, that brilliant EFL Cup final in February. Just see Mason out and Ruben off the sheet poking a picture together on the side of the pitch. That's going to be everywhere, I'd imagine, uh, over the next few days on social media. But, uh, but Chelsea still have a chance of adding a domestic trophy to the Super Cup and the Club World Cup. Important in that regard. It would have been a very difficult way to end the season if they were just left with a few games to secure top four. Chelsea expect a lot more than that. So for them to uh, reach another final, very good. But now they have to win it. They've had a shocking record in the FA Cup finals of late. Of course, they lost twice to Arsenal in 17 and 20 and also lost to Leicester City last year. And perhaps they'll be the ones that can uh, deny Liverpool the quadruple, but uh, that will happen and be decided on May the 14th. For now, Chelsea will be delighted to have won this game and that put them in good spirits ahead of a big game against Arsenal at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night where they'll be hoping to beat another London team to uh, keep the season and the momentum going their way. Uh, Simon, as you kind of pointed out, it, it was... A first half that could politely be described as drab, but a, a leggy Chelsea got the job done in the end. I, I still want to clarify which way round you're referring to, the professional. Or not. <laughs> 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 um, it was never going to be a classic. I, I wasn't there at Sellers Park. I'm sure Dom Dom can can uh, sort of vouch for me, but it it felt like a rerun um palace palace had obviously got their game plan and it works it was working very very well um but the amount of times you saw 21 players in one half poor old mendy sort of stood on his own with able to admire the the scenes <laughs> he, he looked very lonely out there but i thought it i thought palace the opportunity was there for them because you could see Anytime Jorginho was on the ball, you had this this trio of Mateta, Eze and Zaha all converging. And then it was all about what they could do on the break. Um, their their ball, though, wasn't good enough. Their, their, their sort of pass on the break wasn't good enough. But you could see that the, the opportunity was there if they just had that bit of quality. And and Chelsea laboured. You know, they, they were... Yes, they had the possession, but 
but basically Jack Butland had nothing to do for a long, long period. So it was never going to live up to Liverpool, Man City uh, the day before, although I've maybe I'm being a bit of a Grinch. I didn't think that game, despite the scoreline, was that great either. Um, I just think, oh, because there's five goals, it was like, oh, what an amazing game, but it wasn't really. Um, but it certainly was better than, than Chelsea Palace. And, and But you just felt... Palace had to had to take the lead, obviously, because you, you give Chelsea players enough time. They're, they're going. They're too many quality players not to produce one moment um, of quality to to separate the, the two sides. And what was what made it for a great story though was that it was Ruben Loftus Cheek was the one that made the difference. Um, I know Mason Mount scored the second, but it was Loftus Cheek's intervention off the bench against the club that he had such a good loan spell at that yeah opened the scoring and he just felt that once that once Chelsea took the lead then then that was pretty much game over even though Anderson decided to miss a sitter at the other end at 2-0. Uh, yeah, Ruben is the subject of Simon's post-match piece up on The Athletic now and now shortly after the full-time whistle I received a message from a certain S. Parkin Esquire of this parish, which simply read, Hammer Dom for those negative palace tactics. Um, <laughs> were you surprised, Dom, or was that always going to be the game plan? No, I was surprised. Um, the, the news of the switch came out on uh, Friday, I think, um, in the sort of, it, it leaked out on Friday to, to that they were going to match up. Um, I, I'm... <sighs> Was I surprised? I, I I shouldn't be surprised because we Palace have played Chelsea three times this season, and at no point in any of those three games have they played their favoured four three three formation, the formation that has done them proud in every other game virtually this season, the formation that stretched Liverpool, um, albeit from two nil down, that stretched them at Sellers Park, gave them the right good going over, the the formation that 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 beat Manchester City at Manchester City and drew with Manchester City at home. And for some reason, Patrick Vieira overthinks things when he comes up against Chelsea. And he's done it three times now. It's all very well matching up. And it did, yeah, it did nullify Chelsea in the first half and it made them pass the ball slower and it made it all stodgy and it made it a poor a poor spectacle. So you can argue that, yeah, nullifying Chelsea is a, a bonus for Palace, but it nullified Palace as well. They couldn't do what they've been doing in matches like, um, this season, and and uh, and then it all became a bit of mess after that. Well, as soon as as soon as Mateta comes off, because Reese James is suddenly influencing the game more, and he, I mean, virtually for the first ten minutes of the second half, Reese James was actually playing in in midfield. He was he, he just pushed up into a into a sort of right side midfield, actually quite a central role, um, and was just influencing the play so much. And 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 Vieira decided to to put Ayu on to try and pin him back again. But it just, it, everything became a mess after that, really, tactically. There was no, they had no means of of um, imposing their own style on, on the game. And Chelsea, Chelsea are better, better than Crystal Palace. They have better players than Crystal Palace. You're going to match up against them great, but eventually their quality will tell. And it did. Uh, I was I was pleased for, for, for Ruben in a, because I, lo- I, I love Ruben Loftus-Cheek. We've, we've spoken about this previously. It's good to see him doing well. Um, uh, I think a few... Uh, I think... it was. It, look, it, it took a deflection, the, the shot, but it was a really well-struck effort. Really, really pinged it. Um, so fair play, and it's good to see him. This sort of 
rebirth in the last few weeks. Uh, I, I noted one of the comments under your piece today, Si, um, suggesting that we we almost overreact when players have good performances these days and, and we, we take to writing about them. We take to writing about them because they are the theme of the day. They are the theme of the moment. Ruben Loftus-Cheek's rebirth is the theme of Chelsea's team at the moment. He's played virtually every position bar goalkeeper in the team in the last six weeks. And he's actually done a pretty damn good job in all of them. Um, so I, I, it's great to see him playing again. And, and given all the the injury issues that he's had, to see him getting back towards something like his best is uh, is life affirming. Yeah, and, and and you know, carrying on Dom's point in, in reaction to this reader that don't forget that Thomas Tuchel had spoken about Ruben Loftus yeah. Cheek before the game um, and saying, oh, you know. I want to see not just one, two, three good performances. Well, it's now up to him to do 10, 15, 20. And, you know, perhaps in light of that conversation, to see him on the bench, you know, it was kind of like, oh, you know, how will Ruben react to that? But he, he gets his opportunity because Kovacic goes off injured and he comes on and changes the game um, as if, like, he's responding to what Tuchel is saying. Um there is an element that Loftus-Cheek is too much of a nice guy. And this is something that, again, Tuchel inferred, is that, if anything, it's a confidence problem he lacks. It's not an ability problem. He's 26 now, and I think he's had a good season. It's not been outstanding. It's not been um, you know, career-defining. But in the context of what he's been through, this is the second most appearances he's made for Chelsea in his career the most since um, obviously that Achilles injury in, in 2019 which I still think people don't understand how significant an injury that was it was it was horrific it was worse than Callum Hudson-Odoi's um, and, and you could argue Callum Hudson-Odoi is, is still working his way back to, to, to the player that he he was pre-Achilles injury. Um, the loan spell at Fulham wasn't great. He played in a in a poor Fulham side that were relegated. And that almost seemed to be more of a, a, a sort of a fitness exercise rather than a, trying to get his career back on track. So for him to come into Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel and play over 30, make over 30 appearances, I think that is an achievement. And... And I just felt it was very fitting that the cameras did pan away and there was Gareth Southgate and Steve Holland in the crowd, two huge admirers of Loftus-Cheek. Um, he was part of the last World Cup squad. You know, this could be a really big year for, for Loftus-Cheek and I really hope, I really hope that this isn't just us reacting to a positive spell, which I was accused of earlier in the season when I when I wrote about Loftus-Cheek, by the way. I, I, I just think that, you know, He's got a real opportunity here because who knows what the new owners are, are going to do in terms of funding the club. And Loftus-Cheek, this could be his opportunity, especially if Chelsea do decide to cash in on some of their squad players and especially some of those midfielders who are running out of contract. Uh, so it's going to be a fifth final in the last six years. Only won one of those, though, Dom. Uh, I mean, if you're looking to, to right that wrong, you probably wouldn't choose Liverpool as the opposition. <laughs> I agreed, and I, I was. It cropped up um, this morning. I, 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 I'm not. I don't want to be overly negative uh, at all, but 
I'm just trying to work out, and I'm flicking through the results now. When was the last time a team lost three finals in a row? <laughs> um, has it makes. ever happened? Hold on a second. Let me just pause. This, don't, this isn't a live. I don't want this live minute by minute updates. I don't think it's ever happened. I was looking at this. It's never happened. What a great stat! What no team has ever lost three. If it can't be many, you've reached three finals. Exactly. I mean, it's pretty fair. rare to get three in a row. I mean, but still, that's. <laughs> so there are a couple. Old Etonians lost two in a row. Useless. <laughs> Queen's Park lost two in a row. They're not even English. Um, Derby Wanderers, County lost two. They used two. to get in it all the time, didn't they? Good old Wanderers. <laughs> yeah. Derby, Derby County lost two in the late late nineteenth century. Newcastle at the early early twentieth, two in a row. Yeah, I can't. Bear with me, let me just check to be sure. Manchester United, two in a row in the 50s. Everton, two in a row in the 80s. Newcastle, two in a row in the late 90s. That's it, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, that wouldn't be ideal. But, Simon, I guess what might be in Chelsea's favour is the Premier League title race will still be going on at that point. And and Liverpool also might have a Champions League final within, what, two weeks of that. Yeah, um, Chelsea may be the Leicester... Of, of the scenario you know like Leicester last year that was their their main focus their only focus pretty much the, the top four situation would, had obviously sort of failed but um, so yeah it's all about this is huge for Chelsea like I, I, it is weird to sort of say that there's how the season will be viewed depends on what happens in these 90 120 minutes possibly 22 penalties again but it, the difference between Chelsea beating Liverpool to another to a domestic trophy and losing out again I said last week about being nearly men and glorious failure sort of post Real Madrid yeah they, they won't want to they won't want to have lost the league cup final FA cup final and fallen short in a title race I can see Dom like looking disgusted no 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 I, I take I take your point and absolutely you don't want to make a habit of getting to finals and losing them obviously but the idea that Chelsea are, are, are nearly men is is just weird I, I can't I struggled to get my head around that um, already won two trophies this season. exactly they, they're, they're the champions of Europe and the champions of the world I mean it's I mean you can't get what they close to I mean it's the only the only thing would be that the caveat is that they're still actually I think <laughs> domestically anyway that they, they are off Liverpool and Manchester City still there are some distance away from them I and mean, that's that's illustrated in the Premier League I know they beat Manchester City in the Champions League final last season and and, and they <sighs> but but they are it was close between them and Liverpool in the League Cup final, but but the reality is that I think if you if you have that Liverpool and Manchester City's best team against Chelsea's, they probably do beat them. Probably I don't know. I mean, over certainly over a course of game for consistency, they clearly do because you know those guys aren't losing four one home to Brentford occasionally, as 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 we made the point that Chelsea team occasionally throws in these weird results. So I understand exactly what you mean by the nearly man thing, but it's just an odd, it's just an odd balance to strike. Yeah, I mean, it's all relative, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's they are the three most outstanding teams in the country by some considerable distance. I mean, you, God no, you wouldn't want to be the fourth team in the semi final with those two. They're three rather. I mean, jeez. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's like 
I mean, they are streets ahead. When you look at the squabble that's ensuing for fourth place and how utterly inconsistent and rubbish some of those teams can be when they go for games. I mean, it's and, the, and then these three are just a different level entirely. I do think within that substructure, there is, I think, Manchester City and Liverpool are still considerably ahead of Chelsea still. Uh, well, the FA Cup final takes place on Saturday, the 14th of May, the kickoff time, TBC. It was quarter past five last year. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, no one likes that, do they? I mean, silly, but there we go. It's all about the money, uh, and that is the ideal TV slot, apparently. Um, yeah, not ideal for those of us who have a family wedding that day. I mean, a family wedding of <laughs> a Liverpool fan as well. What was he thinking? <laughs> Dreadful. Connor, if you're listening, it's not too late to move it. It's already been moved once because of COVID. You can move it for a cup final too. <laughs> A couple of hours prior to the men's semi-final, when the women booked their place in the FA Cup final, they beat Arsenal 2-0 on their own patch, no less. Here's what Emma Hayes had to say. First 20 minutes of the game, I thought we were horrific. Didn't get our legs going. But once we executed the game plan defensively, I felt we stifled them and they struggled. Goal came at the right time, beginning of the second half, but I thought we completely dominated by the end. We've limited them to maybe one chance in the first half. Anne has maybe tipped one. But beyond that, defensively, we've been solid. And that's our foundation. Now, that keeps us in strong position. So it was goals from Guro Wrighton and Ji So Young just after half time that did the damage there. Another show of the strength and depth for Chelsea here. Magda Eriksson didn't play after illness. Penilla Harder only off the bench. Uh, Emma Hayes insisting it won't have a bearing on the WSL title race. They'll face Manchester City in the final. That's a, a repeat of this season's League Cup final, which Chelsea lost, of course. So. Uh, revenge on the mind there and it also means that Chelsea men and women have reached the final of both domestic cup competitions which is pretty incredible uh, there was some sad news though for the women's team last week Frank Kirby tweeting I'm sad that I have to write to you all another message like this with this being an ongoing issue throughout my career it was time to put my health first thank you to everyone who's taken the time to message I'm doing everything I can to come back once again but until then I will be Chelsea and the Lionesses biggest fan with you all uh, she did so well, didn't she, Simon, to come back from, from the illness, which almost ended her career a, a couple of years ago. It's it's sort of extreme fatigue seems to be the, the prevalent thought as to, as to what's the matter at the moment. But everybody at Chelsea will be desperate to, to have her back because she's such a, a loved figure, but also a key player in the team. Yeah, um, she's been absolute quality um, for Chelsea women. Um, and as someone that has had issues... In, in my life, um, talking personally for five seconds, you know, I, I had um, ME stroke glandular fever as, as, a, as a teenager and it, it's lived with me ever since. It, it's it's a horrible, and, and if it is that related, um, it, it's a horrible thing to have to cope with. And, and, and definitely, um, you know, Mentally, it's very, very difficult for her as, as as well as physically to come back from this. But she's done it once. She can do it again. She will be sorely missed. And, and, and just sort of the reaction to the news, I think, sort of says a lot, the outpouring of support. So um, I'm, I'm sure everyone on the pod, as, as much as it can do, um, wishes her all the best. And perhaps the memories of coming back um, first time around will, will give her that confidence that she can do it again. Yeah, well said. Best of luck to Fran. Hopefully we'll see her back out at Kings Meadow before too long. Uh, the Women's FA Cup final, by the way, takes place the day after the men's. So that is Sunday, the 15th of May. 
Uh, speaking of beating Arsenal, that's what the men will be hoping to do on Wednesday night. We'll take a quick look ahead to that game next. Chelsea versus Arsenal at Stamford Bridge, the midweek matchup. The Blues fatigued but in form. Arsenal coming into the game on the back of three defeats on the bounce to Palace, Brighton and Southampton. Crikey. Uh, Chelsea with an eight-point buffer and two games in hand on fifth place, Man United. Dom, if they win this match on Wednesday, would you say that that's top four sealed? Oh, yeah, but I, yeah, I don't have any qualms about that. That's that's It's just the mathematics on that that, that needs needs sorting. The Chelsea, Chelsea will finish top three easily. And, you know, on paper... Can't look at Sai getting all nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, on paper, this is a... A stroll on paper, given how poorly Arsenal have just collapsed really since the international window, and it wasn't they got beat home to Liverpool just prior to that. Um, but I remember the celebrations at Villa Park when they won one nil just before the international break, and and they looked like a, they were hovering on on Chelsea's shoulder at that point to a certain extent. Well, no longer they were they were absolutely bullied. Um, for the first half at, at Palace, and then Brighton, <laughs> Brighton, who had, who hadn't won in seven games, I think it was prior to prior to that victory, um, they 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 go and shock them really at at, uh, at the Emirates um, with Mwepo's fantastic second goal in particular, um, and Southampton, who you know Chelsea just puts the sword to the tune of six goals in that venue. Um, okay, they they weathered a bit of a storm, but but doesn't that didn't that those two matches Southampton versus Chelsea and Southampton versus Arsenal don't they sum up the differences between these two teams? I mean, Fraser Forster was outstanding in both games. He still conceded six against Chelsea, and and yet Arsenal didn't manage to get past him once. I mean, it's it's a it's a massive gulf. But the only caveat to it is, and and I'm sure Simon's about to say, oh, here we go. Um, I'm pretty sure Arsenal weren't in an a fantastic position when they came to Stamford Bridge last season, and they 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 somehow conjured a that one 0 win. I think they yeah they they won two, two they won successive league games, but they 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 just they were coping with the elimination from the Europa League, and they lost at home to Everton as well at the end of April, and then they went over to Arsenal and won nicked a, a one 0 win. So he had to be slightly wary, but um, but I think that Chelsea should have enough to get past them. Yeah, Arsenal did the double. Over Chelsea last season, it was the Jorginho assist, wasn't it? In that Jorginho yeah. assist, Kepper, Kepper. Well, it was almost an own goal, wasn't it? Um, I never underestimate Chelsea's ability to uh, <laughs> to to stuff up either. But I, I'm just going to go on a brief rant uh, about Arsenal and Spurs. I know this is a a Chelsea pod, but. It just baffles me, these two clubs, certainly their sets of supporters, that they win a couple of games and suddenly they're the best thing in the world. And you're just, you're just going, just, just, maybe it's because, you know, I'm an old man now. You just go, you just go, just, just, just don't go too soon. Just, you know, you've got, you've got so many years of disappointment behind you. <laughs> just wait, don't, don't jump the gun. And, I mean, Arteta was being crowned almost as like the greatest coach in the world sort of three weeks ago. And he just went, the season's not over. Don't underestimate Arsenal's ability to, to, to blow this. And and four defeats in five, it's just, it's just, 
you go, yeah, there you go. You know, don't celebrate until it's 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 secured. In saying that, you know, they, they will be coming to Chelsea on, on Wednesday with, with no pressure almost, with that kind of everyone's expecting Chelsea to win. And they do have good players, you know, Saka. I, I think Arteta has done a good job, don't get me wrong, but um and and Saka and Smith Rowe and Martinelli. Um, they, they can pose a threat to Chelsea. So Chelsea can't sort of, uh, I would say, play with the same lethargic attitudes they showed for an hour against Palace. Like they, They're really going to have to be on it. But if they do win this game, then it should make the rest of the season a little bit more comfortable for them. Because don't forget, their goal difference is so superior to the teams below them that that sort of effectively counts as another point. What would be quite... I'm not sure amusing is the right word, but if Arsenal and Tottenham somehow allow one of the worst Manchester United sides in living memory to, to get in the Champions League because they're stumbling over each other, which is it's a genuine possibility now. I think Antonio Conte's head might explode if that happens. <laughs> um, speaking of fatigue, uh, which Simon mentioned there, Dom, there's going to have to be a, a fair old refresh of the team from, from that which started on, on Sunday, isn't there? You look at the subs who, who came on, uh, other than Ruben, who played most of the game, Kante, Ziyech, uh, probably in line for a start here. And maybe Romelu Lukaku, lest we forget, his best game in a Chelsea shirt, I would argue, was in the reverse fixture way back at the start of the season. Yeah, it'll be up against different centre-halves this time around um you know if he if he'd scored the last the last minute goal against palace and just you know when it seemed easier to score them than to roll it against the post um then he then it might be a case of of starting him in this in this game but I, I do think that chelsea when they have that that fluid movement that that kai havertz provides are still so much more of a threat and i, I think Yes, you you want you're right. You want to refresh things, and there will be elements and and parts of that team that will need to be refreshed. I mean, the, the midfield, and you can you got you got Thiago Silva to come back in at the at the back, which is useful. You could even consider pushing Reese James out to right wing back rather than at, at one of the three centre halves, which which again offers you a different dimension as well. Um, but the front three, I'd be quite keen for them to sort of stay, stick with that for a bit. Arsenal's a significant match. I know they've got a big game against West Ham again at the weekend, and you know Manchester United isn't that much further on from there away. But but there's a level of understanding that's developing there. I don't think it's a great surprise that Timo Werner's playing his, his best football, arguably of his Chelsea career in the last three games, and it's 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 benefited from him having a bit of familiarity with the people around him, I suspect, and the, the relationship he's striking with Mason Mount and with with Kai Havertz. Why disrupt that? Why disrupt it? Keep it going for this match. Try and keep that combination working uh, because that is their best combination. I think Lukaku comes back in, I suspect they'll fall back into old habits and try and they'll be caught within that. Do we play to him or does he play to us or what? How, how do we strike this balance? You know, and if he comes off the bench and there are any of those Arsenal players that, that featured at the Emirates earlier this season who playing on, on, on Wednesday night, then maybe that would that will be a sort of disconcerting for them to see his presence sort of looming large and, 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 and jogging onto the pitch. But stick with what's 
what's been working up top, I'd, I'd suggest. And they have got options. I mean, if they want to refresh one of the tens, they, they, Ziyech is chomping at the bit to get back into the team as, as well. So there, there are plenty of options there. But I, I really would stress with that Kai Havertz up top, um, as long as he stays on his feet, um, that's uh, I think he should definitely... It's a penalty. Uh, <laughs> You're a penalty. <laughs> uh, it is a 7:45 kickoff in the UK on Wednesday night, which means it will be mere hours later when we are reacting to the game in our Thursday pod. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under 23 suffered another damaging defeat in their bid to beat the drop in Division One of PL2. They lost two nil at Everton on Friday. It means Andy Myers' team four points from safety, albeit with a game in hand on Leeds, who are immediately above them. Chelsea have three games left away to Brighton and Blackburn before finishing at home to Spurs. Leeds meanwhile have to play the leaders Manchester City and third placed Arsenal so it's not done yet but they are making it very hard for themselves. Uh, The under 18s host Spurs on Tuesday of this week. Uh, Other Chelsea content available on The Athletic. James Horncastle has a piece up entitled What Next for Romelu Lukaku. Uh, Simon what are you going to be working on this week please? Um piece on Rudiger and what's going on with him. Um, and given that Chelsea at home on Wednesday, I'm just looking at Chelsea's home form. Which has been pretty <laughs> really good. Really sold that, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the sadness in your voice when you said it. Well, I don't know if you're thinking about Brentford. Or... There's a lot to be sad about. <laughs> Too many draws, definitely. Yeah, 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 that's um, that's for sure. Uh, now then, what the Ham House, Eel Pie Island, Pope's Grotto and Nella Hall <laughs> have in common? Uh, no, they're not made up places from an Enid Blyton tale. They all feature in Dom's long trail piece on the problems of redeveloping Stamford Bridge. It's finally up, Dom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if I'm concentrating on them, I'm looking in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they... they I've, I have to say, of all the pieces I've done at the Athletic, I, I, I genuinely enjoyed doing this because it was so different and and just a just a nice break from the norm, particularly in the build up to a, an FA Cup semi final in which I had a vested interest. But but the the view to St Paul's, the vista to the protected vista to St Paul's from uh, a hillock in uh, in Richmond Park um, does prevent Chelsea building up. If I mean, they'd have to build it up a fair distance. It has to be said. A brilliant comment again. We, we, I know we've had a, a little, a bit of comments on the comments in this in this pod already. But um, someone did actually just point out that if if there is an issue protecting that view, why don't you just make the hill bigger? Which is true. I mean, you could do that. Just <laughs> just build the hill up. Um, I mean, it's a burial ground. It's had lots of different uses over the years. So maybe that's maybe that's what they should be doing. Um, but yeah, that was an enjoyable piece to do. I'm, I'm also working on a, a piece on, on um, Carlo Ancelotti this, and his time at Chelsea. Um, I know we've touched upon it before, but, but Carlo is in, about to win the league in Spain. And he's already done it in France, in England, in uh, Italy. And I want to say one other. Yes, in Germany. So there you go. So he'll be, I think, the first manager to win it in five major across the five major leagues. So pretty impressive from the eyebrow-raising Italian. So he makes one raise an eyebrow. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to pick somebody for, for, for that honour to fall to, um, 
Simon, you, you'd probably choose Carlo Ancelotti, wouldn't you? Because he's like, I, I can't think of anybody who's ever come across him and, and doesn't really like him. You know, you know if, that, if that was Mourinho, you'd be going, oh, yeah, can't well stand done, the but... fella. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's just. You feel like he's a relative, don't you? Yeah, you, a kindly uncle, I always think of You feel like, oh, yeah, you're going to go around for Christmas. Yeah. What's, yeah. You'd have a great panettone, wouldn't you? Uh, <laughs> Carl it was always just cheese. It was all about cheese, wasn't it? it was, wasn't, his, wasn't his dad a cheese maker or something? It was something weird, some weird cheese connection. Dairy oh, products. I, I remember after, um, I, think it was, I think it was after Chelsea had won the double, certainly after they'd won the league, um, where he hosted uh, a bunch of lucky reporters on the Chelsea beat at an Italian restaurant near Stamford Bridge. With Ray Wilkins. Uh, and and we had the pleasure, you know, and, and he went round the tape, you know, he's, he didn't just sort of sit at the top and hold court, as it were, you know, he, he spent time with everyone. And one of the things I'll, I'll always remember him, you know, he was asked sort of what player, what player are you excited about in the academy? And he... That was when he dropped Josh McEachran's name. And of course, it's one of those what ifs, you know, what if Carlo had, had stayed around, you know, if you're Josh McEachran. But, but yeah, it's just, it's just a lovely play. Even sort of with the, with obviously his recent visit to Chelsea as, as, as Real Madrid coach. And when he sat, sat there in the press room, it, it just, I asked him a question and he smiled, you know, I don't know whether he remembered me probably going, oh, there's that idiot again. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he just, he, he never felt that sort of antagonism, that, that sort of awkward relationship that, that perhaps existed with some other coaches during the last 19 years. Uh, Josh McEachern, by the way, still going strong, might be about to get promoted out of League One with MK Dons, fingers crossed for him on that one. Uh, that'll do it for us today, though. Like I said, we'll be back on Thursday when we'll reflect on that Arsenal game and look ahead to another derby as well, West Ham at the Bridge on Sunday. Remember, if you're not a subscriber, just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up now. And many thanks to Dom, to Simon, to producer Lucy for joining me today and to you, listener. We'll be back on Thursday. Until then, have a great week. The Athletic.